changers, history makers, and roof breakers. Because you never know who that person is that you're reaching that's pushing you. I used to moon as a skateboarder those who would stand in front of the abortion clinics. I would pull down my pants and moon them. I used to call up Christian prayer hotlines and pretend to be possessed of the devil. When my parents sent me to Christian counseling, I did extra drugs, so when I went there, I was totally out of my mind. And yet God got a hold of my heart. You don't know the next person that you're going to reach, who they're going to be for Jesus. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you. You may be seated. We're proud of you. We are proud of you. Yeah, yesterday when I was out there in front of the abortion clinic, I was talking to the police, and they said, okay, okay. And I said, I'm serious. And they said, okay. And then somebody stepped up and caused a mess, and they didn't do anything. And they said, well, well, you didn't give us enough time. And and then you started saying something. And I said, okay, I'm going to give you another chance. And then finally, when that same guy came back, because like you said, normally they'll come back around, they, they caused another issue, getting all loud and yelling at people. And then they finally got out their car and did something. I know the police came. Can do better in this city. Amen? And we do have police in this uh, church who remain anonymous because they have a lot of pressure on their lives, but we pray for you, we love you, and you know what I'm saying is true because anytime I talk to our police officers, there's like, there's bad ones and there's good ones. Pray for us. Amen? Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3. I am just honored that you're here today learning the scriptures with us. We're going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the book of Revelation, learning what God has to say to his churches. Next week is going to be Easter. How many believe Jesus is alive? Amen. Bring your friends and family. Lord willing, after that, we'll be going back into the sermon series. And here's one of the reasons why we actually believe in this church in what's known as the pre-tribulation rapture. How many believe in the pre-tribulation rapture here? Anybody? Okay, about four of you. How many don't even know what the pre-tribulation rapture is? You don't even know. Okay, well, you're going to learn what it is, and it's the right way to understand the book of Revelation. Well, basically, those of us who understand the book of Revelation, there's some tribulation there, and you got to decide when does the church leave. Then there are people who believe in pre-tribulation rapture, and guess when they believe they leave? Pre, before the tribulation. Then there's mid-tribulation rapture. Guess when they believe they leave? In the middle. And then there's the post-tribulation rapture. Guess when they believe they leave? Post, after the tribulation. Now, I believe we are pre, and here is the reason why. If you look to your scriptures in Revelation chapter 4, from this point on, the church is not mentioned anymore because in verse 1 it says, After this I looked, and there before me was a door opened in heaven, and the voice that I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. Somebody say, Come up here. And somebody say, Take place after this. Thank you. So we have to look to the scripture to determine the timing of the rapture. All Christians believe in a rapture, that the body is going to be transformed, meet the Lord in the air, and then come rule and reign with Christ. All good Christians believe that. It's just a question of when is it going to happen. So we believe it happens after the church age. The come up here is the church coming, and then those who remain are left behind and go through the tribulation. There will be believers or Christians during that time, but 
they will be few. And then there will be Jewish people getting saved, 12,000 out of each tribe. Don't let a Jehovah Witness tell you wrong about who the 144,000 are. That is the Jewish people becoming in-time evangelists and God keeping his word to Israel. Now, let me just ask you a question for those of you who have been around a while to see how well you know me. One to ten, one being something I really don't care about, ten being like the greatest thing I care about. How much do you think I am convicted and care about the deity of Jesus Christ, the triune nature of Jesus? How much do you think I care about that? A whole lot of ten. How much do you think I care about the pre-tribulation rapture doctrine? Probably about, somebody said a five, probably about a one or a two. So I am not here, honestly, to debate this with other Christians. I will debate just about anything else with you. Uh, but this one is what I tease with. If you want to debate this with me, you got to take me out to Red Lobster and you do most of the talking. Okay, so you treat me to Red Lobster and I'll be eating it. And you could be like, well, I believe the four horsemen of the apocalypse are this. And I'll be like, mm, okay, just keep talking about it. Another lobster here, please. It's on them. Oh, I think, I think the signs are this. And then I think the Antichrist is, oh, okay, Okay, some more butter sauce, please. And this is true for most uh, pastors. And it's not that we're ashamed of it. It's not like, oh, we don't talk about it. No, we'll talk about it. It's just, this is the book of Revelation. Anybody who walks through the book of Revelation and says, I got it down to a T. I know when these things are happening. And I'm even going to write a book about it. Normally, 10 years later, you can't find them anymore, okay? Or they're revising their books to make more money on something they were wrong. And so most of us who are really into apologetics, defense of the faith, teaching the doctrines of the scriptures, we understand to tread lightly through the book of Revelation. It doesn't mean we can't know it. It doesn't mean that it's not knowable. I think I kind of do know it. I think I'm kind of right on it, but I just don't put a whole lot of stock in how right I think I am because the Jewish people had 6,000 years to get Jesus' first coming right, and they ended up putting him on the cross, okay? So I'm like, there might be something I got wrong here, and it, you know, I believe in the pre-tribulation rapture, but I better prepare you if I'm wrong because you might have to go through the tribulation. So if you go through it, don't be blaming me and say, Pastor, well, you just taught us that the swing low, sweet chariot coming on home to bring me home. You know, Pastor, you just made me think I was leaving. I'm, I'm telling you, I think we'll leave before that, but I'm not 100% sure. I'm about 1% sure that we're leaving before this thing goes bad. And so, like I said, I've debated these things in Bible college, and I don't debate them anymore. I just give my personal understanding. You as a Christian, you're more than welcome to debate with anyone else in this church that has differing views. We welcome discussion. We don't think debate's a bad word here. In other words, discussions, debates, uh, bringing up arguments and cases for one side to the other. It's wonderful. And I can actually show you, as we get more into that, I'll show you the scholars that debated amongst themselves, the people who write the books debating each other. I've, I've done all of that. I've been there. I've got the t shirt rapture ready how many are rapture ready how many are pan trib it's going to pan out how many single people just hope it happens after you're married it's, it's not really tribulation time really that you're concerned about it's pre-marriage mid-marriage post-marriage nobody here that's single wants it pre-marriage right you don't want to be at the altar and then all of a sudden here i come and you're like jesus I know I'm going to get married to you, but I wanted to get married, you know, come on. 
People used to tease me in Bible college because I was single for over 10 years. Those who knew me, and they called me a bachelor to the rapture. So I was going to be single for Jesus until he came. And some are called to do that. Some seriously are called to do that. That wasn't me. That was not me. I was like the one Paul was talking about. If you burn, you better get married. And I'm like, I'm burning, Jesus. I'm burning, Lord. Please, Jesus, please, please. And the Lord hooked me up. Took me about 10 years, but now we've been married over 15 years. Where's my wife? There she is. God bless you, woman of God. And so just one more thing to tie up the book of Revelation in the churches because we are moving through series. It's an introduction before the introduction. Somebody say preach it. The other thing is when people go through the seven churches, they think about them as seven church ages that has been taught as well, which we disagree with because the last church we're getting into today is the worst church. If you haven't read through this before, let me just give you a little spoiler alert here. Laodicea is bad. And I'm not like talking like they're kind of good, kind of bad. They're like, they're all bad, and they're about ready to make Jesus puke. That's what he says to them. You're about ready to make me spit you out of my mouth. I don't know you. I don't want you to come to heaven like this. You better get right, okay? But here's the thing. If you're in an American mindset, and you look around the church of America, you might be convinced of this. Man, we are in the Laodicean church age, but how many know the world's bigger than America? It's a big place out there. And so I think it would be disrespectful to talk about a Laodicean church age when there's 100 million Christians right now laying it down for Jesus in China, where Iran is one of the fastest growing places to become a Christian, when there's other places like in Indonesia and places where the Christian church is growing at rates it's never grown before. Nigeria, Kenya, Uganda are some African nations that have been won to Christ even in our lifetimes lifetimes. Literally, they've gone from either tribal religions or Muslim to Christian. And so we've got to be careful. If you believe it, it's fine, but we've got to be careful on labeling. We're in a Laodicean church age, man, because I can almost see the guy in China getting whipped and beaten going, who are you calling backslidden? You know what I'm saying? I can see you getting that thought when you look at Joe Osteen or T.D. Jakes. I can say an amen to that. But I would say let's be careful when we judge what's happening in our country to what's happening around the world. So how do I personally see it? I see the seven churches are seven grades or seven kinds of churches that can exist at any time. And yes, you better believe I think America is a Laodicean church for the most part. And that's what we're dealing with. But I don't don't think the Chinese church, which is could pass us, by the way. They, they are a large population. They could have more spirit-filled believers there than America does. And right now, Brazil already has more than we do here in America. So we got to understand the world mission view. So I think uh, every church locally can have the potential of being any of these seven. And then I think any church in a nation can be represented by these seven. So do you think you're in a Laodicean church today right here? Yes or no? Do you think we're backslidden? Okay, that shouldn't be a deep thing to think about, like, really long. Are we backslidden at Metro Praise? Let me tell you as the pastor how I think about you. I don't think you're backslidden. Now, am I wrong? Are you backslidden? Like, what are you doing? What are you doing over the the week that I'm not seeing? Okay, so let's ask that question again. Do you think you're a Laodicean church? No. But as a whole, do you think Chicago Christians are Laodicean? 
Yeah, pretty much. Do you think we're the only ones? No, we shouldn't think we're the only ones. But for the most part, Chicago and other cities, nation, I think if we're getting stamped with one of the seven grades here, not being A, B, C, D, or whatever, F, you know, we're, we're, we're getting here the stamp of Laodicea over our nation. But in this church, I think we're getting the church of Sardis or Philadelphia, excuse me, Philadelphia. How many were here when we talked about Philadelphia? I think, I, you know, I don't think I'm deceived, but I, I, I would hope that God would say we're a Philadelphia church. So as now we get ready to conclude this, have Easter, come back and start learning everything about the charts, the best way that I can possibly do it. And brothers, have we bought the cork board yet? And do we got the thumbnails and the yarn? Because I so want to have a cork board here, you know, and then have the yarn stringing from the four horsemen of the apocalypse all the way back here to the bowls of wrath in the vials. And then I want to look back at you guys like that one meme and be like, do you guys get it? Do you understand it? Because that's how I actually see Revelation. I know it's kind of funny, but I actually believe Revelation is cyclical. It talks about a certain time period, and then it repeats itself into another time period. So it's like a circle within a circle. It's so deep, man. Everybody go, whoa. Wheels within wheels. Ezekiel, man, interprets the book of Revelation. How many? You don't even... Y'all don't, y'all don't Sunday school enough. How many know about the wheels within the wheel? Revelation. Now UFO, supposedly. No, man, that's not what it is. But supposedly, uh, that's what people think. It wheels within wheels, flying saucers within the flying saucers, man. And it all fits together with the four horsemen. And Moses was seeing a burning bush because he was on hallucinogenics. Oh, you know, and, uh, you know, Jesus was an alien. No, what we're going to do is back it all the way up. Everybody say, back that thing up. Talking about the truth of the scripture, amen. We're going to back it up and have you understand at least one one solid interpretation of how this can plan, uh, how this can pan out, what it can look like. Now, one last thing before we get into the message. I'm sorry if I said that before. I think there's like four introductions today. How many remember last week's message, the good feelings that we had, the happiness as I was talking about you're a pillar in the house of God? How many remember that? Remember that feeling because you won't feel that today. You will not be feeling that good little warm, fuzzy, pastor loves me feeling today. Unless, I should say, you know that love can also be a rebuke. Because today we're going to talk about Jesus saying, those I love, I rebuke and discipline. So how many parents do I have in the house today? How many parents love your children enough to rebuke them and discipline them? How many know if you don't discipline a child, if you don't rebuke a child, that's actually not a sign of love. That passiveness is not a sign of love. It's actually a sign of neglect, non-love. If your baby's still wearing diapers after five years old and they're able to go potty, but you don't want to do anything about it, that's a problem, Mom. I'm not talking about children with challenges. I'm just talking about you being lazy, not wanting to do it. If you're not able to discipline your children, talk to them through their issues, and you're just saying, well, I'm just going to let it happen the way it happens, that's not a good parent. And Jesus is not that way to us. Jesus is good to us. He loves us. So if you can hear the love language, and I think there should be six. How many know the five love languages? There should be six, the language of rebuke, right? Because there's the love language of touch, physical touch, quality time. You guys know what I'm talking about. All of the gift giving, all of this. What's the sixth love language? Rebuke. What's the sixth love language of Metro Praise? Rebuke. Okay, you guys ready? Nobody's ready. Did I, are you guys done? Are we done today? No, let's go to the Bible. 
Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 14. I'll read it in its entirety by God's grace. We'll break it down, and then we'll go to application. Jesus speaking here. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either one or the other, so because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Everybody say, oh, snap. It got real. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and don't need a thing. But you do not realize you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Somebody say, ouch. That's the truth. That's my Jesus. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. To those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Can I hear an amen? Jesus loved them enough to tell them the truth. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has an ear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Can I hear an amen if you're hearing it? Amen and amen. Let's break it down. As is Jesus' pattern in the churches, as he speaks to them, he opens up with declaring who he is. Remember, the book of Revelation is not about revealing an antichrist, Armageddon, all of those things. Who is it revealing? What is the book of Revelation about? Jesus! He is showing us who he is. Yes, we'll be celebrating Easter, but don't think about him as merely a person on the cross. We had Christmas a while back. Don't think about him merely as a baby in a manger. Who is Jesus? He is the amen. He is the so be it, the right arm of God the Father coming down to enact his will. You don't want to mess with Jesus. He's the faithful and true witness. So when he came down and revealed himself as he showed us the Father's heart, everything he said was faithful and true. And lastly, he is the ruler of God's creation. So is Jesus just a mere creature, an itty-bitty God created by the big God? Because he's only the son, and there's the father. No, he's equal with the father. Because how many rulers does the earth have, friends? How many king of kings can you have? How many lord of lords can you have? How many creators can you have? How many firsts and lasts can you have? How many alpha and omegas can you have? How many self-existing I am that I am can you have? One, so who is God? He is the Father. He is the Son. He is the Holy Spirit. These three are one. They are not three persons acting as one person. That's a contradiction. They are not three gods acting as one God. They are three persons sharing the nature of one God. No contradiction. It is 100% logical. As a matter of fact, logic finds itself born out of the Trinity, the one and the many. Study that logical problem when you have time. Christians have no idea of their foundation. Christianity is the foundation of logic and reason and science. Do not let people push you into the realm of religion as if that's somewhere in the back of the bus where you don't 
don't belong. You belong at the beginning, at the front of the bus, in science and in rationality, logic, and all that is good for the humanities. Can I hear an amen? That is why the Christian worldview is the source of all truth. And I could do that at a, another time. But what I see here that many Christians miss is that when Jesus said all that about himself, many Christians now think to themselves, well, that just must mean he got all of that because he rose from the dead. No, he had that before he rose from the dead. The Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In our K, in the Greek, in our he, as my wife would say with the, uh, the Greek pronunciation, we we as uh, scholars, we say it the wrong way, but the Greeks have to teach us. It's not arche, it's arche. Everybody say arche. Arche, where we get the word arch from. Ark, the beginning. In the beginning was the word. Where do we hear that? In the beginning. Genesis 1, chapter 1. In the beginning. Jesus is there all the time. So it's not a man becoming God or a prophet becoming God. It is God becoming man. Do you notice the difference? And it's important because this is who he always has been. The only reason he took on flesh is so that he might die in place of our sins. I love it as Athanasius said, he became what I was sinful that I might become what he is righteous. The great exchange is on the cross. He became sin for us. That's why it's not bad uh, Friday. It's good Friday because he took my sins on the cross. Without himself being a sinner, it was laid upon him, the wickedness, the sinfulness of us all so that we might might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. I love that. Do you guys love that? That's who Jesus is. He is the amen, which means so be it, the right arm of God confirming the will of the Father. He is the faithful and true witness. He is the ruler of God's creation. I double dog dare you one day you get discouraged. Go back to these notes and just confess every one of the things Jesus said he is. Lord, I believe today you hold the seven stars in your right hand. You walk among the golden seven lampstands. You are the first and the last. You're the one who died and came to life. You're the one who has words sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, you you have eyes brazing like fire, feet burnished like bronze. You hold those seven stars and spirits in your hand. You are holy and true. You hold the keys of David. You open doors no one can shut and shut doors no one can open. You are the amen, the faithful and the true witness. You can say amen anytime. The ruler of God's creation. That's the book of Revelation. I don't care if we understand who the Antichrist is or get all the pre-tribulation, post-pre, uh, post-mid-tribulation uh, stuff worked out. Get this. This is what Revelation is revealing to us, who Jesus is. Amen? Praise God for his great, wonderful grace to us. Now, there is no good news. Other churches, he starts off compliment, critique, compliment. Oh, that sounds like a good Ibarito to me. A little platanos, a little steak, and a little more platanos, right? Sounds like a good sandwich to anybody here that's into sandwiches as well. Some, some buns, some meat, some buns. No, not here. Boom, right into critique. Take it because they're that bad. So what does he say? He says, your deeds are neither hot or cold, and because they're lukewarm, I'm about ready to spit you out my mouth. Uh, you make me puke. That's Jesus. Does everybody get that? He's like, you make me puke. You're sickening to me. 
Here's a help to understand the passage because some people misunderstand it. They think hot is living for Jesus, cold is living for the devil. So they're thinking Jesus is saying, I wish you were live for me, be hot, or live for the devil and be cold, but since you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. It doesn't mean that. Because number one, why would he say that I don't want you to be something when he really wants to punish one of the things that, he, that you are? He doesn't want to punish the cold person. He doesn't want to punish the hot person. He's only going to punish the lukewarm person. So say it like this. You have faucets in your house, don't you? He's saying, I wish you were cold. Because if you're cold on a hot day, you need cold water to cool you down. In the aqueduct system of the Roman Empire, they had cool springs coming in, and that would be wonderful on hot days. How many like cold tea? It's called what? Iced tea. How many like iced coffee, right? But how many know there's another knob on your faucet too, and it's hot? How many like hot coffee, hot tea? How many like a hot shower when it's cold? But how many also like a cold shower when it's hot? So he's not saying to them, I wish you would live for me or be like the devil, but because you're neither, I'm going to spit you out. No, the neither, the comparison of the neither is both are supposed to be good. And here's where you need to know the culture. The aqueduct system could come in both hot and cold, but lukewarm was not good. If you were in a town that only had lukewarm water coming in your aqueduct system, you were not doing good. But Laodicea, now watch this, was a rich town and was a rich city. Guess what they had there? They had banks that were there. And here now we're seeing that they say, we're rich. We don't need a thing. They were so rich that history records that when they had some national, uh, uh, natural disasters, the Roman Empire tried to come and pay for it. And they go, nah, man, we're so rich. We don't even need the government's help. We'll do it ourselves. They had a self-sufficient, rich mentality. But what does Jesus say to them? You say you're rich. You don't need a thing because you got all the banks and the gold and all the prosperity of the cold and hot water aqueducts. You have a metropolis that's booming. You think you're rich and don't need a thing. But here's what I say you are. You're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. He said, you think you're righteous, but you're ratchet. You think you've got it together, but you are wicked. You are poor. Guess what else we learned from history? They also had there a fashion industry. And you know what they were known for? Was making the black dyed cloth. And he says to him, you're naked. You are absolutely buck naked. So imagine speaking to New Yorkers who have Wall Street, who have Calvin Klein, who dresses all in their chic black clothes and spend thousands of dollars for a T-shirt you can get at Walmart for five bucks, right? Imagine Jesus saying to New York, you're busted. You don't have nothing. You're broke. You don't even have a street, let alone a Wall Street. You don't have any clothes. You are naked. He's speaking to their culture. And if you ever wanted to know why here in just a little bit, he's going to say, buy the salve when you buy your gold from me, and I'll give you salve for your eyes so you can see. The reason why he said that is because they produced eye medicine there. They had balms that would go in your eyes and heal eye disease. And he's saying, you think you're so smart. You have the best of medicine. You have the best of clothes. You have the best of commerce. But this is how I see you. You are naked. You are pitiful. You are poor. And guess what? You're blind. Are you knowing where I'm going with this to our application? (laughs) Hold on. I'm going to get there. But I'm sure you can see it already. Doesn't our country and especially our city remind you a lot of Laodicea? With all of our riches, with all of our fashion, with all of our medicine, with all of our technology. And yet the pastors think, I don't need a thing. I got everything. We're mega. We're a mega church. We're a mega this. And what is God saying back? You're a mega mess. 
because he's not looking at them on the outside. He's looking at their hearts. Somebody say, God, have mercy. Amen. But this is what I love about my Jesus. And everybody hear our hearts today. Whenever we preach, we always preach with the grace of God. We may be calling out sin, but it's still from the grace of God. If you have ever heard a message from us that you don't think came from love or filled with the grace of God, then please forgive us. But here is our heart. Our heart is to love you so much to tell you the truth so that you won't stay the way you are. As the old saying goes, God loves you just the way you are too much to let you stay that way. And so listen to now Jesus. After he has rebuked them, after he has called them out, he has said, you are wretched. You are pitiful. He then says, come get gold from me and you will be rich. He actually doesn't have a problem with the riches. It's just whether or not they're blinding them to the kingdom of God. The Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and then all these things will be added unto you. We come into the kingdom poor, not relying on any of our things. We come relying only upon Jesus. But what is Jesus' desire? To make us spiritually blessed, to make us physically blessed. He wants to give us the kingdom of God, which is more than we could ever think, ask, or imagine. And yet, how does he say to come? Humbly. Come. How many of you would buy gold from Jesus today if he said, come buy some gold? How many would show up and then have a problem and go, um, Jesus, I'm supposed to buy some gold from you, but I don't have anything to buy it with. But somebody told me to buy it from you. How many think that might be a problem? But how about this? Jesus not only sells the gold, he provides the substance to buy the gold. We buy that which he's offering through his blood. The blood of Jesus purchased for us all that we come and buy. So it would be like me giving my daughter, it would be like me giving my daughter the, um, the credit card that I have supplied with all the money she needs and saying, now come buy something from me. Come buy something from my store. But Joe, you already own the store. Yeah, and you already own all the money. Yeah, it's all for my glory. You don't have to do anything except be obedient. Take the credit card, walk into my store, and buy all that you want. It would just be like Gates or Bezos. You know, Gates saying, come to, uh, come to Microsoft, get all that you want. Bezos, come to Amazon. The Walmart family, come. Here's a gift card we're giving you to buy our own stuff back. Think about how much Jesus loves them to say that. Does he want to spit them out of his mouth? See, anybody who turns the message we're giving them as a message of hate, like that young man did with TJ, doesn't understand our scriptures. We're preaching to you so you come to Jesus. We don't want you to go to hell. We don't want you to suffer, and that's the love of Jesus. And then notice this right here. I'll give you white clothes. I'm going to give you clothes that represent purity, not the black fashion that you've been wearing representing your own self-sufficiency, the clothes that you've been making. And if the color here is not the issue, it's their own self-sufficiency in white representing the righteousness. And then lastly, he says, I'm going to give you the real salve. I mean, how many have read this, including me, and didn't know why he's giving them salve? Why didn't he mention that, this balm, this oil, this cure? Why didn't he mention that to all the other churches? Because he's talking to them in a way they can relate. He's saying, I know you're all about the money, but you need to come get your spiritual riches from me. I know you're all about the clothes, but come get clothed in my righteousness. I know you're all about healing eyes, but come have your spiritual eyes healed by me. But what do they have to do? Somebody say, be earnest and repent. Come on, say it like you mean it. Say, be earnest and repent. Thank you. That's all they have to do. Would you be willing to do that? I know that I would. So if someone goes to hell pitiful, wretched, blind, and naked, is it Jesus' fault? 
No, because we can extrapolate from this, extrapolate from this passage that if Jesus, is, Jesus wants these people, the kind of people that makes him puke, to actually become rich and to be clothed and to have salve, if he wants those people to get it, he wants everybody to have it. So if you see anybody that's still pitiful and you're like Mr. T, you pity the fool, you know, because there are some fools out there that deserve some pity. How many know that? How many know you just look at people and you just feel bad for them? Like I'm just telling you, I look at, I look at um, Miley Cyrus and I just feel bad for her. Why would you do that to yourself? I feel bad for a lot of these sports stars and entertainers who waste their money, have nothing. Like Dennis Rodman was a big guy back in the, you know, the 90s on the Bulls. I look at his life. Now, man, I pity you, man. I pity you. I do. I feel bad for you. Look what you gave up. Look what, look, look what the devil took from you. But how many know you don't, you don't end it at pity? You don't just say, oh, I pity the homeless person. No, you don't just give a hand out. You give a hand up. I love this about Jesus. He's saying you may be pitiful, but you don't have to be pitiful anymore. So if you see anybody wallowing in their pity, wallowing in their wretchedness, wallowing in that, that's their fault. That doesn't mean we still don't pray for them and keep reaching out to them. But here's the solution. Be earnest and repent. And then lastly, what does he say? He says, open the door and let me dine with you. How many of you have ever had a time where people have come over to your house to hang out with you? Anybody have house parties? Okay. How many of you have had some people come and you're hanging out with them and then others come later, but you can't hear them at the door? How many have actually had those people call you and say, hello, and you pick up and they're like, hello, and then, and then, they, and then you go, where are you? And they go, I'm here. And you go, I'm here too. And they go, well, I'm here in front of the door. Can you let me in? Anybody had that? I'm telling you, I've had that before. See, what's the problem? We're not paying attention to who's still coming. What's happening in our culture right now? We're like, oh, I'm hanging out at the Grammys, but Jesus is still knocking at the door. We're hanging out at the fashion show. Jesus is still knocking at the door. We're hanging out here at these different places saying, oh, I got my friends. I got my family. I got my people. And Jesus, he's sitting there knocking. Oh, I got my education, Jesus. I have all of this accolades, Jesus, all of these prestigious titles, Jesus, and he's knocking at the door. So what do you have to do? What is the assumption here? Is you have to stop doing what you're doing to get where he's at. We're so busy doing whatever we're doing, we're not hearing him knocking. You'll talk to people all the time. I don't believe in Jesus because I don't see Jesus. You're not looking for him. He's not far from any one of us. Well, I don't hear Jesus. All you Christians talk about prayer and Jesus talking to you. I don't hear Jesus. Yeah, it's because you're hearing Bill Maher. You're hearing Oprah. You're hearing all these other thoughts in your own mind. You're not quieting your heart because the Bible promises, seek, you shall find. Knock, and the door will be answered. The Bible is telling us that Jesus is not hard to find. As a matter of fact, he's knocking at the doors of our heart. He's knocking at the door of our mayor's heart. He's knocking at the doors of every one of the entertainers we talked about, any one of these pastors that are not preaching what they're supposed to. He's knocking at their hearts. He's knocking at our hearts. Jesus will not hand us over until the time of judgment. And Jesus is knocking at their heart. And then now, in closing, before we make it applicable, we have to know the whole thing of Jesus, right? What he's, but his point is before we apply it. But this is my favorite part, and it's the favorite part of anything that's been said to any of the churches. Here it is. It's said to the worst church. To the victorious, he says, I will give you the right to sit with me on my Father's throne. Can you think of anything greater than that? Oftentimes, as we've mentioned here before, people come up with arguments against our God. And they say, well, I just feel like I'm a pet. If he created me to make a choice that he knew what I was going to make to begin with, I feel like I'm just his pet. And what do I say back to them? So what? How does it feel to be a pet then? 
Because what, what, what does it matter if God made us? Think about this. The all-powerful, all-knowing being makes you to be a pet. What can you do about it? If we're talking logically here, what do pets do back to their owners? Ruff, ruff, ruff. And then you just pull them right on. Hello? Does your pet win an argument with you? So people think that's sassy towards God. Like, that's an argument. No, that's just a complaint. Complaints aren't arguments against God's righteousness and judgment. God being all-powerful could make us whatever he wanted us to make us. He could have made us walking tomatoes if he wanted to. We could have been like Bob. We could have been like Sponge Man, Sponge Bob Squarepants. But how many are glad today when we get the revelation of God we're not pets? That we're called sheep, but the sheep get to come into the house. Last time I hung around with shepherds, they weren't bringing the sheep into their house. Bah, come on in. Bah, bah, bah. I'm a happy sheep. I don't hear about shepherds leading sheep into houses, but our shepherd leads sheep into houses. Why? Because we're more than pets. But it goes beyond that. What if we were just servants? Little Nas, a rapper, came out with a shoe that is fully satanic, if you've heard about it. While Nini's Deli and Juan was canceled from Nike, Little Nas is supported to make a shoe based on Satanism. Think about how bad the world has come. As if you had not already seen it all, there is a rapper who has tattooed his eyes red, worships the devil, and when you go to pre-order the shoe that has satanic symbols on it, you will see his love for Satan on the website. Guard your children from it. This is the culture we live in, but everybody listen to me. What is his slogan? My kids even heard it because it went through the grapevine. What is his slogan? I would rather reign in hell than serve in heaven. And by the way, I used to be with Satanists before Satanism was cool, before it was a thing. Like, it's become a thing in our culture. How many notice that now? Like, it's cool for Beyonce to be like all tribal witch-like. Like, this is cool now, you know. You know, we're all just witches and warlike. That's how they want to think right now. But I was uh, raised in New Orleans in the, in the ministry from 18-year-old 18 18 onward. So I'm used to witchcraft. I'm used to the real deal. I'm used to seances. I'm used to curses. I had them put on me all the time and then had to rebuke them when they came in the middle of the night. Can I hear an amen to the power of Jesus? I could tell you some stories right now, but uh, it's not the right, right time. But trust me, I understand it. But here's the thing that I would always say to these guys. You know, sometimes they get their teeth uh, shaved down to be fangs. They drink blood. They do this stuff. We just had another interview on our show with a witch. I asked her if she drank blood, and she said, I don't mention that in public. And I go, well, that pretty much has told us where you're at on that. I mean, it's pretty obvious what I would say if you asked me that question. I wouldn't have to say I don't talk about it in public, you know. So it's real deal going on, real deal. I could say some other things that are a bit gross with the children here, but it's, it's happening in our culture. So I always would back up. Er, hold on. You think you're going to reign in hell? Let's do an experiment right now between these two things that you just said. This is what I would like to say to them. Okay, you don't want to be a servant in heaven. You want to reign in hell. Okay, so I'm going to go here to Cafe Dumont, and I'm going to be everybody's servant for the day. Just tell me what to do. You want some beignets? You want some coffee? Okay, I'm just going to be a servant, and I'm going to do that. Now for you, we're going to take some gasoline, set you on fire, and see how reigning in hell is right now. And not only just that, if I could, we're going to put you on every type of hallucinogenic to take away your peace of mind, your comfort. We're going to take away your sanity and only torment you with the memories of your past. That's hell. Hell is a place of loneliness, a place of torment. It is a place that never has a moment of sanity or clarity, mental anguish to the hundredth degree, and it is a place of immense physical pain. It is not an ACDC party. 
You're not going on the highway to hell singing like that. The moment you get there, you will not want to be there anymore. And so this idea that somehow we're God's pet and we're going to throw a temper tantrum about it or be his servant and show how unfair that is, number one, we don't understand the gospel. Number two, it changes nothing. Number three, you won't like hell either. It's worse. But what is the promise here? It's better than a pet. Come on, everybody get this. This is the good part at the end. Better than a servant. I believe this. How many believe the Bible? We are going to come into the kingdom of God. And Jesus is going to be sharing a throne with his father. And he's going to look at you, Nathan, and he's going to say, Hey, son, come on up. Come sit down here with me. And you're going to be like, oh, it's so cool up here. Let me touch the scepter and start crushing the nations again. He's going to say, no, we already did that. <laughs> the Bible says in a few chapters earlier, right, we're going to have the scepter that crushes the nations. But no, it's not. not the, leave that alone, son. But what are you going to do on that throne? Hear the heart of your father. Learn the heart of Jesus. Have a special place in his life. We're not just his pets. We're not just his servants doing things for Jesus. Like he created us to be his gardeners. Just take care of my garden. How many know he could have done that just by having the, the, you know, the creatures do that? He could have made whatever he wanted, and yet he makes us in his image for a relationship. And everybody get this here. He says to the church, that is the worst. I still have a place for you on my Father's throne. That's where you want to be. You don't want to make this about your fashion. You don't want to make this about your technology. You don't want this to be about you. You want to set your eyes on eternity because that's where you're going to be for a long time. And you want to set your eyes on who you're going to be there with. With. Because eternity without me will be insanity. Eternity without me will be torment. But eternal glory and pleasures forevermore is what heaven is because God is there. It's not streets of gold. It's not just because you get to do what you didn't get to do down here. Well, I get to be a fisherman. I get to play golf and get a hole in one. That's not what heaven is. Heaven is not your virtual world, your sim city. Heaven is where Jesus is, and you're the closest to him. And he says, I have a place for you there. Somebody say, I'm listening, Jesus. Amen. In application, let's uh, have Vinny come up, please. In application, I won't be as long. What do I see happening in our culture today? I see us fully falling into the traps of the Laodicean church. I see us taking on their same arguments well, we're rich, Jesus. Look at our economy. Jesus, we're healthy. Look at all of our vaccines. Jesus, we're fashionable. Look at all that we have. And Jesus is looking back at us saying, it's time to change. It's time to repent. So where does that start? That starts with us in the pulpit. It starts with people like me repenting for trying to be rich in the worldly sense and not serving you in the Christian godly sense. I, as a pastor, have to repent if the only reason why I serve you is so that I can have more money, more book sales. We need to hold our pastors to a higher standard. Pastors for too long have looked at the ministry as a way to come up. What about when ministry costs you something? Peter didn't come up in ministry in the sense of getting more notoriety, more prestige, more money. He got crucified upside down and martyred. Church, wake up, starting with the pastors. 
How about the people, you, coming to this church going, well, I'm not a pastor. How do I wake up? Well, that's actually who he's talking to, isn't it? People like you, just like me, because we're all going to be held accountable for what goes on in this city. You need to stand up for righteousness. I'm tired of being out on the streets feeling like we're the only ones and then having to get into arguments with the only other Christians we meet. Hardly ever do I meet another Christian out there, and then if I do meet another Christian, what do they want to do with us? Well, is this effective? You know, TJ. Is TJ effective out here? Well, I like what D.L. Moody said. I like better what I'm doing wrong than what you're not doing right. Show us how to do it then. Show us, okay? We'll take the eagle here at Logan. You go over here and take Humble Park. Show us how to do it. Don't Monday morning armchair quarterback the ministry. Show us how to be on your job, Christians. How do you go to your job and stand in righteousness? How do you make a stand in your family? Don't compromise. Why is it everybody right now can stand up for what they believe in, but the Christian feels ashamed of what they believe in? This is not a battle we're going to win with physical, uh, physical ammunition, uh, ammunition and warfare. We're going to win the battle of the mind through the heart. We're going to see hearts change and worldviews change. We need to preach to them to get there. The worst thing we can do in this culture is to tell the lukewarm person who thinks they're right with God that they're okay. That's the worst thing we can do because they all think they're religious. Even though we still have a growing population of agnosticism and atheism, the number one person that I meet that hates what I'm doing is a Christian. Supposedly, the guy that I argued with yesterday was a Catholic. I was raised Catholic. I still know this. I still sometimes believe this. But they're inconsistent. They're lukewarm. So don't make excuses, brothers and sisters, and say, well, I'm not as bad as this one. I'm not as bad. Are you lukewarm is the question. Because if you're not representing Christ on your job, you're lukewarm. The people on your job at this climate that we're in should know you're a Christian. Would they know you're a Muslim? Come on, women. Let's talk to the women first. If you were a Muslim, would the people on your job know you were a Muslim? Yeah, why? Because your dress would be different. Your talk would be different. You would have already asked them for the place to pray. You would have made sure that what? That family or, or, or business barbecues have halal options. Everybody knows the vegan of the office, let's be honest. <laughs> the annoying one, come on. Is there going to be the vegan option for me to make sure? Make sure everything in the vegan option. Do they know you're a Christian? Do they know you do not participate in the deeds of darkness? We still have an opportunity to have places of influence. Let us not think that shying away from these conversations is going to work for us in the better. In the long run, it won't. You and I will get pushed and pushed and pushed so far into the closet that there will be no place for us to go anymore. Some of you look around our city today and you think this is the way it's always been. It hasn't. It hasn't always been. Think about the uh, time during the American industrial revolution. Everybody was coming to cities like Chicago. I wish I had some time to preach. Can I preach just a little bit longer? Is that okay? Amen. Let's talk about the America. I, I, you know, I preached a little bit on the first part, but this is the good part too. I want to preach on this. Okay, please be patient. The American revolution, uh, um, industrial revolution happened uh, to bring growth to places like Chicago, right? What did the Christians think during that time? 
They started seeing the farmers come into the big cities, get away from their families, the religious structure. What did they start to see happen, the Christians of the cities? They began to see that the young people coming to work these new jobs got addicted to the substances, the alcohol, the harder alcohol, uh, the whiskeys that they were now uh, bringing in their breweries and all of these things because they had the technology to make stronger proof, different than the beers and wines of their time, right? And they saw them get with loose women, the prostitution. Do you know what this place right here? Right on the other side of us started as Onward House, Christian. Going to provide housing for Christian people during this time. YMCA, Young Christian Men's Association. They started businesses and opportunities for Christians to have places of safety and Christian worldview to continue to operate in the world. D.L. Moody went down to the poorest places of Chicago and said to the young people, if you come faithfully, I'll buy you a new set of clothes and I'll help you get a job. That's how Moody started. Salvation Army, Goodwill, all of these different places. Christians bringing answers to their society. Well, I had one businessman tell me, well, I'm a businessman. I don't do those other kinds of things. First of all, shame on you for thinking that you're different than us because you're some kind of a millionaire or businessman type. But listen to me. Anybody ever heard of the Christian Businessmen's Association? You know why that started after the boom of World War II? The boomers were booming and the jobs were coming forth and all these people were getting into the Wall Street and into the places of influence. And you know what they began to realize? Money can't buy them happiness. Money couldn't buy them a home, a happy home. They would have a house but not a happy home. So these businessmen began to get together from Wall Street to the places in Chicago. Matter of fact, the first place I preached outside of a church here in Chicago was at a Christian businessmen's meeting. A brother from the church invited me. You know why they did it? Because they said, brother, we can't just work for money all the time. We're going to destroy our lives. Let's get together and do a Bible study. Let's ground our faith. Let's remind ourselves why we have jobs, houses, and lands, and entrepreneurship. Even to this day, Google... Microsoft, Apple will have talks like TED Talks. TED Talks themselves are a a throwback to these times when people could hear about the meanings of humanity, the meanings of business, the meaning of these things. Where are the Christians? Here's where we are. We're taking the back seat now. And sadly, the only ones that come forward into those positions are the compromisers. Don't accept that. Don't accept that, young people. There was a story in in Canada of a drunkard getting saved at a storefront church just like this. He was a drunkard that would always come back and forth on on a street like this. And the preachers and the people were always reaching out. And one day they brought that drunkard in. He got saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost. And then he eventually brought his family and his his son came. The son is now, I believe, the third or the fourth most wealthiest person in Canada. And he's building Christian, conservative Bible schools and, and elementary schools in the nation of Canada. From a drunkard getting saved to a young man now on fire as a billionaire. It's time to stop compromising. It's time to stand up for what we believe in lest we get spit out of the mouth of Jesus. There used to be a group called Teen Challenge. And I speak this as a man of God to anyone listening to me. I rebuke Teen Challenge for what they have done in Jesus' name. I've said it privately, now I say it publicly. Teen Challenge was a great and is in so many ways a great organization, but they need my rebuke and love today. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Stand with me when they call me up, right? Okay. David Wilkerson heard about the gangs in New York and said, I'm going to go preach. 
and go minister to them. He heard about a court case of one of these gangs getting all arrested, and he said, that's where I'm going to start it. And and please forgive me if I don't get the story quite accurate, but the the gist of the story, he shows up at the court, and, you know, people are asking, what are you doing here? He's like, I'm here to preach Jesus. And they got a picture of him in his Bible, and they make fun of him all throughout New York City, and nothing really happens, but he keeps going to where these gangs are at. One of them, the leader is named Nikki Cruz. His mother is on witchcraft. He was dedicated to Satan as a child. He then says to David Wilkerson, I'm going to slice you up, mine, in a thousand pieces. And then David Wilkerson said, every one of these pieces will be saying, Jesus loves you. Nikki Cruz eventually gave his life to Jesus and became one of the greatest urban evangelists. And that started Teen Challenge where young people would come off the streets, go into a program and get sanctified and learn the things of God. And I want to, I want to spiritually slam this right now just on their, on their little toesy-woesies until they get back to doing the things of God. And they just closed the one in Chicago and gave it to, sold it to a condominium place. Are you telling me we don't need a Teen Challenge in Chicago anymore? Are you telling me there's not a thousand Nikki Cruises out here? Where would you even take a young man off the streets from gangs? Let's say he doesn't even have a drug problem. Where would you put him? We don't even have homes anymore. We have to put him into individual homes because the programs that used to be started by these organizations are either backslidden or they have shut their doors. Here we are now suffering. It hasn't always been this way. I challenge every single one of you to be radical for Jesus. If you're called to be in the business world, be radical in the business world. If you're called to go get education and teach in the colleges, do you know that Harvard, Princeton, and Yale were started as Bible colleges? Still to this day, they talk about how bad it was for the Native Americans. We don't deny that. But Harvard gave free education to the Native Americans and still does to this day. Learn where the first black students went to college, Oberlin, the women, and so forth. They were Christian colleges. And yet we've handed over our universities now to everything satanic and demonic. If we were facing an invading army right now, a literal invading army, what would you think about me if I said, hey, you know, all the adults stay here. I'm going to send the children to go fight them. Everybody under five years old, you guys go out there and fight this invading army. You would say, that's wicked. What are you thinking? But we're sending our children into these environments, and we're just letting them get destroyed. He's destroying our children in the educational system. He's destroying our children out here in the politics and all of this. It's affecting our kids. And we as adults are just sitting back going, I don't know if I'm called to this or that or this or that. And here we are as a church, and we have the answer. Schools were started in churches. Start a school here. I can't start everything, people. Who's called to start a school? Start one here. Who wants to do the next YMCA and really have it be for YMCA? Go get the grants as while we can and go start a home for the people that are not wanting to have abortions to raise their children. Start a home here. We will partner with you. And we are doing those things right now with the organizations we trust. But it, I, I, I'm telling you, I've gotten to the point where I'm tired of talking about Laodicea. Oh, we're backslidden. This nation is backslidden. I'm tired of talking about it. It's time to live it. 
That's why with my family and I, anybody who wants to do homeschooling, we got your back. Our family and I, anybody who wants to start a ministry, go through the process. We'll support that ministry as much as we can and build it up as far as we can go, and we'll believe God for the rest. And that's why we put 100000 on this board, because we did not come here to get along with the enemy. We came to take land. I want to give the Roman Catholics a run for their money. I want to give every one of these organizations a jump start to the things of God. And that's why you're here. So let's stop being backslidden. Amen? If you are, get rid of your sin. Live holy for God. Are you ready? Amen. Let's stand up. Band and altar workers, would you come, please? Let's start in our lives. Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for your patience, saints. We're going to close in worship and prayer. I don't want to keep you much longer.